This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 85 of the Catholic Foodie, Remembering Hurricane Katrina. Welcome to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and we have a full menu today, folks, on the fifth anniversary of the landfall of Hurricane Katrina. We're going to reflect on Hurricane Katrina today and talk about her nemesis, Our Lady of Prompt Succor. Sarah Vabulous, the Catholic Drinky, joins us today for our aperitif segment, and we'll be talking about Bloody Marys. Woohoo! And Sarah Reinhard graces us again with her Mary in the Kitchen segment. We've got lots to talk about, a health tip, we're going to have a recipe for jambalaya, all this, folks, and more right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Oh, my goodness, it is hard to believe. It is so hard to believe, folks, that we are already, already uh, five years, five years out from Hurricane Katrina. Man, and uh, you guys know, you know that uh, I'm, I'm in the, the thick of it here, right outside of New Orleans, and uh, this, this is my uh, stomping grounds, you know. This is where it all happened. Of course, all along the Gulf South, you've had uh, problems with Hurricane Katrina, M- Mississippi caught, uh, they, they, had, they had it bad, right? Mississippi had it very bad. Slidell, which is just to the east of New Orleans, they got it too. Um, all, places all along the coast. You know, uh, you hear a lot about New Orleans and Katrina because New Orleans, well, people know. <laughs> they know New Orleans, right? It's, um, it's a well-known city. And so there are many other areas that got that were affected by Hurricane Katrina. We just don't hear their names as often. Uh, I guess that's, you know, neither here or there. It's just uh, the way things are. So, uh, you know, we're going to start off right now with our aperitif segment. And, uh, boy, I have got, oh, actually, you know what? What did I forget? I forgot to pray. And not only did I forget to pray, I forgot to write a prayer out. So uh, we're going to go off the cuff here. Off the cuff, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this, but let's do it. Lord Jesus, you challenge us in the gospel to live a different life, to have your words, your living word, really change us in the depths of who we are. Lord Jesus, in the gospel, you tell a story about a dinner party. And you tell us in that story not to invite our friends and our families and those who are wealthy and influential. Rather, you tell us to invite those who are outcasts, those who are sick, those who are frowned upon by society. This is hard, Lord Jesus. Help us to remember and to acknowledge the fact that those around us the people who are in our lives and our families, our friends, those we come in contact with at work or at school, that these people inside might be the rejected, the outcast, the sick, those who are um, suffering. Help us to recognize this, Lord Jesus, and help us to always invite them to our table, the table of our conversation the table of our attention, the table of our time, that we can share with them the goodness that we have received with you. Lord Jesus, may those who suffer, those who are outcasts, never be so when it comes to the way we we approach them, the way we relate to them. Rather, Lord Jesus, may they be family, around the family table with us as we break bread and share communion with you who are the bread of life, the living word, come down from heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless us and bless this food we're about to receive. And we ask this, of course, in your name, you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. That was my off-the-cuff prayer. (laughs) I'll have to transcribe it and post it in the show notes uh, so that you can have that there on the website over at catholicfoodie.com. Now, as I was saying before I so inter or, or so rudely interrupted myself with a prayer, uh, we have 
a special treat today for our aperitif segment. We're going to have Sarah Vabulous, that's right, the fabulous Sarah Vabulous, on the show. The Catholic Drinky now. This is the Catholic Drinky over at CatholicDrinky.com. She's going to be on the show with me today to talk about, you guessed it, Bloody Marys. Actually, how, how could you have guessed that? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't really drink, you know. Of course you don't. No, I wouldn't either if I was drinking that. But you would have to be an idiot of elephantine proportions not to appreciate this 61 Chateau Latour. And you, Monsieur Linguini, are no idiot. <laughs> Let us toast your non-idiocy. Well, folks, I do have Sarah on the line. It's Sarah Vabulous, the Catholic Drinky from CatholicDrinky.com. Welcome, Sarah. Hey, Jeff. It's good to be on your show again this week. Well, how you doing? Oh, you know, pretty good. I enjoyed some, some new beers in the last, uh, I guess, week or so since we last talked. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. Now, you know, today I was thinking for our uh, uh aperitif segment that we would actually talk about Bloody Marys. And I thought about this because if you remember last episode, I talked about beer Bloody Marys and, you know, which I love, absolutely love, but it, it made me, re, you know, kind of reflect back, think back to my bartending days. And when I used to make Bloody Marys all the time and not just behind the bar, but we would have uh, parties, get togethers, family things, and I, they would ask me to make the Bloody Marys. So I used to make these big batches of Bloody Marys. And it just got me thinking, hey, maybe we should do that for this episode. So would you mind talking with me today about Bloody Marys? Absolutely. I uh, have actually had the pleasure in uh, having a drink at the bar that is known to have brought the Bloody Mary to the United States. Um, it's the St. Regis Bar in New York City. Um, I don't know if, if you're... If you're uh, Listeners know this or not, but the Bloody Mary did originate at the St. Regis um, in Europe, and um, I believe the one in Paris, and so the New York uh, St. Regis, when it opened here, was the first place in the United States to offer the original Bloody Mary recipe. Wow. You know, I did, I read something about that the other day. Funny, it was in Paris that, um, that, it, that it started, but it came over here via New York. That is so cool. And you were there. How was that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that bar is so neat. If anyone ever has a chance, to, you know, when they're in New York city to go to the bar at the St. Regis, um, it's the who to of, of bars in New York city. That's for sure. Um, it's a small bar, very intimate. Um, the bartenders know, know what they're doing. Um, there's a beautiful mural on the wall, um, as well. And it's pretty funny. You got to take a look at it and get the, one of the bartenders to tell you the story. Um, of the mural, um, but the Bloody Mary there is very spicy. I mean, it's a very spicy Bloody Mary, um, but um, it is probably one of the best ones I've ever had. Awesome. You know, I like them spicy, so I, I would be okay with that. <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the the a couple of things that I think really make a Bloody Mary, first of all, is the vodka. I mean, it, you, you have to have good vodka, you know. Uh, what Do you have a favorite, Sarah? Absolutely. Um, gosh, I think I'd have to go with the goose. Grey goose. Grey goose. I love grey goose. It's a nice smooth vodka. That is yeah. really good. Very good. You know, I remember back in my bartending days, uh when uh Sky, the Sky vodka first came out and the way it was I don't know if it was officially like marketed this way, but the way it was marketed in the bars, you know, just from word of mouth is that this was the hangoverless vodka because of the special uh, process of distillation. They took all the stuff out of it so you wouldn't have any hangover. Now, I would tell my clients, my customers who came in to drink, you know, that there's only one guarantee that you will not have a hangover. Just don't drink too much. <laughs> I mean, the vodka, great. It could taste good. It could be smooth, but it's not going to make a difference, you know. Just, just don't drink too much. So, um, so you know, I like Sky. I like Absolute. Yeah, no. I like Kettle One. I like all these different 
uh, vodkas that have been around for a long time. Grey Goose, very good, very smooth. Matter of fact, in my kitchen right now, and I, God, I should have made a note of this. I can't remember the name of it, but I have a bottle of organic vodka that my father-in-law gave us. Now, what is the uh, what is the benefit of having organic vodka over non-organic? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even know if it matters. But it's still kind of cool that it's <laughs> organic vodka, right? Yeah, well, definitely. I think there's a big movement in the in the liquor world right now to, to move towards some of these more organic liquors. Um, you know, along with food, as you well know, a lot of people these days really are trying to eat more organic, uh, less chemicals in their bodies and things. So I would imagine an organic vodka, you know, it comes from whether they make it from potatoes or grapes or um, what other uh, ingredients, just, you know, they, they're, they just weren't mixed with the chemicals um, when they were grown. Right, right. And I, I mean, it does. It does make a difference. You may not taste a difference, but it does definitely make a difference. And, and as I was saying, the, the uh, you know, the vodka is one of the things that really makes a Bloody Mary. And if there was any other ingredient, personally, for me, any other ingredient that really makes a difference, well, actually, now that, now that I think about this, there's several. Uh, one would be the heat, right? How do you, how do you, um, how do you give it its kick as far as um, hotness goes? But also, I think the salt. You don't want to over-salt it, uh, but, it but you have to, if, if you don't have the salt in there, it's just not going to be a good Bloody Mary. And one of the things that I used to use all the time is a Cajun seasoning. Uh, it, usually it was like the, the Tony Sacheries, which is pretty well known all across the, the country, I believe. I don't know if it's known across the world, but across the country. Tony Sacheries Cajun Creole seasoning. And, uh, but you got to have the right measurements. You can't overdo it. Good stuff. Uh, used to use Campbell's. <laughs> Campbell's tomato juice. That was about... The the, uh, the 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 only type of tomato juice that I used to use, believe it or not. Uh, but some people swear by V8. I've never I've never done it. Oh, Campbell's is the best. It's the best too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds great, Jeff. I mean, Campbell's did make the uh, tomato soup recipe, so I would imagine that that one's pretty darn good. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, let me ask you this, Sarah. Have you ever had any of the variations on the Bloody Mary? I mean, we've got. Uh, I don't know, three or four that I could think of right now, the, the the Bloody Bull, the Bloody Maria, and then there's one that I will never, ever, ever try. It's called the Clamato, Clamato um, Cocktail. Have you had any of those? I have had the Clamato, as a matter of fact, but the other ones, no. I actually just recently started liking tomatoes, like raw tomatoes and tomato juice, so I'm still exploring and enjoying that. Really? What was the Clamato like? I've, I mean, it, it, it's... You know, for those uh, for those of you who don't know, the Clamato cocktail is basically a Bloody Mary, but it's made with uh, clam juice. Is that right? I mean, they have the tomato. They just add that to a regular Bloody Mary. Yeah, isn't, isn't that right? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it was really good. Uh, it tastes a lot like a regular Bloody Mary, but it's got um, more of the saltiness and the flavor from the clam. I mean, just imagine like when you're you're at out at a restaurant and you're you're just you're eating some raw seafood, um, you know, raw oyster or any of that, um, and it just like and, and then you chase it with a nice drink. Well, you don't have to chase it here; it's all just mixed in together. Wow, that that's convenient, <laughs> very convenient, uh, very good. And, and, Absolutely. And for it's those, a, it's a good flavor. It's a good flavor. I, I just, I don't know about clams. I mean, oysters is one thing. I've never had a clam, believe it or not. Never. Uh, oysters, I know. I, I grow up with them. I grew up with them right oh, here. Never had a clam. I, I, I feel almost ashamed, but I just never have. But I can't imagine having, you know, I know well, they're oysters. Well, really they're good fried. I love fried clams. I love fried oysters. They're, they're being fried oyster po' boy. Oh my goodness! It slap your mama good. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I mentioned um, when we brought up the clamato. I mentioned the bloody bull and the bloody Maria. And the bloody bull basically is just a regular um, bloody Mary, but they add beef bouillon to to the drink. So it's got that little, you know, that little beef kind of taste and kick and of course beef bouillon you you have salt in that already so 
Um, it adds a different a different flavor to it. And then Bloody Maria is uh, made not with vodka but with tequila. So you have a regular Bloody Mary made with tequila. So uh, that's those are the the basic variations Ooh, on. Uh, yeah, it sounds pretty dangerous. I've never. I've never had the the bloody Maria before. That's that that would be something new for me too. Yeah. Now you know before we this was our, our bloody Mary conversation. I'm going to give a quick recipe for the bloody Mary in just a few minutes. But before I let you go, I wanted to ask you. You know, you just put uh, a post up over at CatholicDrinky.com. I think it was yesterday, maybe Friday, about uh, canned beer. Uh, what was that all about? Well, um, there's a movement within the craft beer industry to uh, put more of their beer in cans rather than in bottles. Um, historically, the craft beer has, has come um, exclusively in bottles. But if you go to any good beer store, um, you can check out uh, a bunch of beers that have started putting things in cans. Um, Fat Tire, which I think I've talked about before on the show, um, from New Belgium Brewery out in Colorado, they... Um, will be uh, arriving in cans sometime in the near future, I think in the next couple weeks. Um, and then just bre- upstart breweries, some of these craft breweries, they're putting um, their beers in cans. Um, they're discovering that it doesn't hurt the taste of the beer to be in a can instead of in a bottle. And it's easier for folks to carry around, you know, especially during the summer or for football season when you tailgate, it's so much easier to carry a can than it is a bottle. I mean, even just the logistically how much it weighs cans weigh less than bottles. Right, right. And you know, it's funny, it was very uh, timely that you had this article up uh, because just last week I ended up uh, bumping into a a guy I know who's a distributor for a craft brewery, craft beer brewery, and he was, you know, I I was looking at different beers. He was there. He was looking, you know, he says, hey, have you ever tried this one or that one? And it was in a can. I said, you know, I just, I, I kind of shy away from beers and cans. He says, why? I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> they're in cans. And uh, he said, you know, it's a common misconception because uh, beer in cans actually stays fresher longer and kind of maintains that uh, the purity of the beer from when it was um, uh, actually, what do you call it? I don't want to say bottled, but I guess canned. Uh, because yep. when you when you have the beer in bottles, he says, it it can be affected by light, but that won't happen when it's in a yep. can. Very interesting stuff, and I love That's that exactly article. Exactly right. There's a big move. And I I love the article. I, I'm very curious to see how many bre- uh, craft breweries would actually pick up on this. Very very interested in that. Well, you know, Sarah. Um, um, well, I saw a list, and I can't remember. I saw a list. I can't remember exactly how many it was, but it was it was it was getting high. I think it was you know maybe more than twenty have have started to do this. Wow. Uh, anyway, I want to think. Yeah, let's do a letter writing campaign. Oh yeah, we could do that. <laughs> That's right. I want to direct everybody over to the post on canned beer over at uh, CatholicDrinky.com. And Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Jeff. It's always such a an honor and a privilege to uh, to be on your show. And if I'm not mistaken, we'll uh, we'll talk again next week, right? Yeah, you got it. I'm real excited. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Well, that was Sarah Vabulous uh, from the, the, well, she is the Catholic Drinky from CatholicDrinky.com. And uh, such a pleasure to have her on the show. Uh, good stuff. You know, she just started this website, CatholicDrinky.com. A couple of weeks back, right after the CNMC, actually, she purchased the URL during a small group session, <laughs> and I was in the small group uh, when, when she bought the, the URL, uh, CatholicDrinky.com. Very funny. But, you know, she was inspired by the CNMC, all the good stuff going on, especially the blogging section, and she wanted to start a blog. She loves beer, and hey, voila, there it is. So we are thinking, we are thinking uh, of having Sarah on to help us out with our aperitif section each episode. I'm very excited about that. So you can look forward to having Sarah back on the show next week. 
I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Well, you know, uh, in our appetizer section, there are a couple of things we're going to talk about. One of them that I'd like to start off with is, uh, well, our 79 possible cookbook titles. If you uh, listened to last episode, you know that uh, this whole uh, Catholic Foodie Cookbook Project is going to be, well, it's, we're gearing up for a launch, folks. As a matter of fact, I've got a new URL over there at cookbook.catholicfoodie.com. And that's going to be the place where you can learn or, or follow everything that we do from beginning to end. This whole project, this whole process of writing via podcast a cookbook, a Catholic foodie cookbook, which, by the way, is going to be a fun endeavor. This is, you know, kind of the New Orleans-y, the heart of New Orleans, the jazzy sort of fun Mardi Gras kind of thing, but talking about food and faith and really tracing or following uh, food throughout salvation history. So I'm going to bring that New Orleans flair to food and faith in a cookbook-type thing, (laughs) a cookbook-type thing. Anyway, uh, just this past week, I put on catholicfoodie.com a list of 79 possible titles that I came up with, and I've had several people make comments uh, on that particular post, which you can find at catholicfoodie.com slash cookbooks dash titles. If you haven't put your two cents in yet, and two cents ain't much, you know what I'm saying? We all have kind of two cents, even though there's the expression, I, I can't rub two pennies together. But hey, pretty much everybody's got two cents. Go over to catholicfoodie.com slash cookbook dash titles and tell me which one you think should be the title of the Catholic Foodie cookbook. Also in this aperitif section, just a quick reminder, uh, we have a new Catholic foodie newsletter coming. That's right. First issue is going to go out in the middle of September. Uh, Man, I have got some incredible, absolutely incredible contributors lined up, folks. You're not going to believe the people who are going to be contributing to this newsletter. You are definitely going to want to be on the list. You're going to want to get this. You're talking about, I mean, we got recipes, we've got uh, featured, uh, like a drink of the month, we've got a featured recipe of the month, we've got reviews on kitchen gadgets, uh, reviews on cookbooks, we've got reflections uh, uh, on on food and faith, we have uh, family stories, we've got so many things. You're going to love this and you really want to sign up for it. Uh, You need to go to catholicfoodie.newsletter, I'm sorry catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter. And I'm going to go there right now. catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter. And let me see what's up here because I know I'm forgetting something as far as the contents go. That's right. Uh, Feature recipes, feature drinks of the month, uh, reflections on food and faith, reviews of kitchen gadgets, cookbook reviews, updates on the Catholic Foodie Cookbook Project, answers to questions submitted by you. And also a weekly, weekly prayer before meals or before meals prayers um, that that I'll put in there. It's going to be a monthly newsletter, but I'm going to put four of those prayers in there uh, each each issue. That way you've got one a week. And all these prayers, by the way, kind of reflect my thinking, my approach to the whole food and faith thing, which is really what the cookbook's all about. So you're getting a little condensed uh, uh, portions, right? Portions of, um, of the cookbook in these prayers. So that's what you are going to get. Just go over to catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter and sign up. Ooh, love. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. It's so perky. I love that. 
that's right. Uh, we are in the salad portion, believe it or not. And uh, just a health tip. Here's a health tip. Very simple. To the point, drink more water. That is the health tip of the week, folks. Drink more water. If you want to know more about that, you can see, uh, go to uh, mcvitamins.com slash water. Now, I'm going to have to tell you this. I can't believe these people haven't been sued yet. McVitamins? Come on. McVitamins.com slash water. And, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, Father Roderick talking about a website he started called McFaith. I believe it was called McFaith. And he was actually approached by the attorneys of McDonald's. And they said, man, you got to stop. You have to stop or we have to sue you. So uh, McVitamins, I wonder how long they're going to be around. But you can go as far as, you know, this afternoon, you could go to mcvitamins.com water slash water and you'll find plenty of information there some of it sort of militaristic i guess uh radical uh about water and you know it kind of links water to a lot of uh problems a lot of uh, illnesses even like cancer and stuff so i don't know how far you want to take that but uh, the fact is is that most of us in america today i don't know about europe but in america today most of us are to some extent dehydrated you know, it recommends that we eat, uh, that we drink at least eight glasses of water, eight eight-ounce glasses of water a day. And, uh, you know, most people don't. We're, we're too busy drinking Coca-Cola and Sprite and Pepsi and coffee. That, that would be me, coffee right here. That's me, right me, right here. Uh, juice or iced tea or you know, all these other things and not water. The good news for me, I don't necessarily get eight cups in. But after I finish my second cup of coffee, now they're big cups. I agree, big, huge cups. That is true. But after I finish my second one, it's just water the rest of the day. Unless, of course, you know, we have a glass of wine or a beer or a cocktail or something like that before dinner. Other than that, it's water. I just don't think I hit enough. I don't, I don't think I get enough. I don't, definitely don't hit eight glasses a day. So uh, that's your health tip for the week. Drink more Water. McVitamins.com slash water. Oh, you gotta taste this! This is, oh, it's got this kind of, mm, it's burning, melty, it's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain, oh, it, it's kind of like a, you know, it's got like this boom, zap kind of taste. Don't you think? What, what would you call that flavor? Lightning-y? Yeah. It's lightning-y! Oh, we gotta do that again! Okay, when the next storm comes, we'll go up on the roof. I know what this needs. Saffron. A little saffron would make this. Saffron. Why do I get the feeling it's, it's in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen? You know, I was thinking about this just now. I think I have to come up with a different bumper because we're talking about in the kitchen. We're not going in the kitchen. We're at the dining room table. And guess what? We're going to have our main course. And our main course today, as I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, so much can be said. Today is the fifth anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, the landfall of Hurricane Katrina. Wow. So much can be said about this, uh, just on a personal level, but it's people around the world, uh, people right here, of course, in the New Orleans area, Louisiana, all the Gulf South are uh, probably, you know, you have a lot of different emotions, different reactions going on today. Um, there, there have been uh, things I've seen in the media of, of uh, you know, kind of an awareness of suicide because they're you know worried that people might become suicidal. Kind of thinking back over the last five years or five years ago and what they went through and the sufferings they endured. That's a scary thought. Definitely a scary thought. I mean, you talk about people though who have lost family. They've lost family members. They had you know they lost everything. Uh, no house. Not a, not anything left of their house on the slab, on the foundation, nothing. And I know there were cases where even the foundation was gone, slab gone. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, this was a destructive storm, no doubt about it. And, you know, it, it kind of showed forth also the weaknesses of our own, uh, our government, uh, the bureaucracy that stands in the way of mankind helping mankind, you know, People helping people, government standing in the way of that, uh, not a good thing, not a good thing at all. And we saw it. We saw it um, unveiled completely with Katrina. It's scary, very scary stuff. 
Uh, you know, for us personally, Char and I, the family, you know, I, I, I thought about this today. My children, my, my, my baby girl, Grace, was three years old at the time. Can't believe that. Five years have gone by. She was three. Uh, Annabelle was four, and Christopher had just turned six. And we really, relatively, suffered very little from Katrina. Uh, we had, my dog is going absolutely crazy. Uh, we had uh, a roof had to be replaced. Uh, we didn't have that much damage. We didn't have any water damage inside. I'm so completely surprised by that. Had you known our house, had you known the flooding that had gone on around that that place, um, I don't know why we didn't get water damage, but we didn't. So uh, not that bad. We had some trees uprooted, things like that. Not that bad. Uh, but it was everything around us, my, our entire area, everything around us completely changed. Everything has changed since Katrina. Uh, it was a complete influx of people, just a huge influx of people into our area because we're on the north side, the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. So lots of people who had no home, nothing on the south shore, they crossed the pond, so to speak. They crossed Lake Pontchartrain, the world's longest bridge, by the way, 24-mile bridge spanning the south to north shore, Lake Pontchartrain. They came over to our side. Streets were jam-packed, uh, traffic everywhere, waiting. It, it just is crazy. And unbelievable lines at the grocery store. So many people at the grocery stores, and you're waiting in line forever. Makes you feel like you're at Walmart, right? You get that joke? I hope you get that joke. Because you wait in line forever at Walmart because they don't want to, well, anyway, another story, another time. But you were in line forever. And um, you, you go to the drive-thru, and don't tell anybody, okay, but I used to go through drive-thrus, fast food. Maria, if you're out there, don't don't tell anybody that. But I used to go through drive-thrus. Anyway, the drive-thru, the lines would be down the street. And I'm not talking about just one place, like, I don't know, Taco Bell, maybe. I'm talking about every drive-thru because everybody's trying to eat. It's unreal. You had restaurant stores, didn't open for months. Uh, miraculously, miraculously, the, 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 the school I taught at, St. Paul's in Covington, miraculously, two weeks after, or was it two weeks? Maybe three weeks. Three weeks after the storm, three weeks they reopened. They didn't think they were going to open for months. But all the planets lined up, actually, to be honest, they knew all the right people, <laughs> or all the right people, I should say, had children who were in that school, and so they made sure that, you know, all the planets did line up so that the uh, they could reopen, and th so three weeks after the storm, they reopened. You had lots of our students, lots of their families still didn't have power, but school was open, school had power, and uh, we tried to get back to some sense of normalcy. Now, you know, today, the fifth anniversary, today, you should see it at my house right now. It has been storming all day. I mean, in, in a way, very appropriate for the five-year anniversary, storming all day. And, uh, but I tell you, it made me think, you know, we are kind of hurricane people. And what I mean by that is we sort of gauge time, the passage of time by hurricanes. I still remember you know, growing up and people talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, well, that was before Betsy. Oh, oh, yeah, you know, but that was before Camille. And as a kid, I didn't go through that, so I didn't know what they were talking about, but hurricanes Betsy and Camille, devastating hurricanes down here in our area. But we, we, we kind of note the passage of time by hurricanes. And so Katrina, as I said, changed everything. So Katrina is a special hurricane that really marks a complete uh, break in our, um, our, our uh, discussion of, of time, of history. And, you know, we're, we're kind of defined by hurricanes in other ways, too. We, we fear hurricanes, uh, although we show our fear in different ways. It's kind of like death. You know, uh, people fear death. But you know what? People deal with that in different ways. You have some people who are afraid. I mean, everybody's afraid of death. You know, we, our, our strongest instinct is for survival, self-preservation. But when death is almost imminent, you have people who kind of pluck up the courage and they just, you know, sometimes 
stupidly pluck up the courage and just sort of like face death head on. They're like, oh, yeah? Huh. Well, I'm not backing down. And yet, they, you know, they really are afraid, but they're plucking up their courage. Same thing with hurricanes. We kinda, we, we, we're kind of like that, you know. We're afraid. We know we got to get out of town. But there are many of us down here who sort of pluck up that courage or maybe it's just stirring up stupidity. I guess it depends on who you ask. But we'll have these hurricane parties, right, where you're serving these cocktails in large quantities, these cocktails called hurricanes. Uh, very strong drink, by the way, made famous by uh, Pat O'Brien's, uh, Pat O'Brien's uh, bar and piano bar down in the French Quarter in, in New Orleans. If you're ever in the French Quarter, you might want to stop by and see Pat O'Brien's. It is quite an experience. Just watch out, okay? Those hurricanes really are strong, even though they don't taste like they are. They are. So be careful. Anyway, we have hurricane parties and all of that. And you got people who want to stay and ride out the storm because, of course, you know, the big one's never going to come. Um, anyway, however, even though we have this fear of hurricanes, there's a lot of resiliency in the people down here. Uh, Char was telling me this morning, she, I, I slept in, but she was up and on, I think it was NPR. I could be wrong. Maybe it was local public uh, radio. She heard a story about, you know, remembering Katrina, and she it was about the resiliency of the people of New Orleans. And she said, you know, six days, six days after the landfall of Hurricane Katrina, people were talking about and trying to plan Mardi Gras. <laughs> I mean, there's no power. There's like, you know, we half the city's gone. I mean, <laughs> it, the city itself is a ghost town. Basically, I mean, it's just no one's around. But people who are around, people who are kind of involved, they're trying to plan out Mardi Gras. <laughs> you know, so it's just sort of this resiliency of the people of New Orleans, which is great. That's an awesome, awesome trait. And Mardi Gras did happen. I mean, well, we, yeah, there were some definite differences. But anyway, uh, Mardi Gras back in action now, that's for sure. So um, just the resiliency of the people. Char said that what she heard this morning on that show was so moving it brought her to tears. It was I wish I would have been awake to have to have heard that. Anyway, thinking about Katrina today, you know, in the Archdiocese of New Orleans, where I am, where we are, uh, the Archbishop, Archbishop Gregory Amon, um, he wanted all the parishes in the Archdiocese to celebrate today in the Archdiocese the solemnity of Our Lady of Prompt Succor who is the patroness of the archdiocese. We're, we're devoted, consecrated to Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And some people would say that Prompt Succor. Succor, I believe, is the French pronunciation. What it basically means is Our Lady of Quick Help, Our Lady of Fast Remedy. And uh, there's a story about Our Lady of Prompt Succor, and we pray this prayer all the time. Uh, Our Lady of Prompt Succor hasten to help us she is the, the, you know, Our Lady of Quick Help, and she is the patroness we turn to in times of hurricanes or other natural disasters. And I want to, I went on, you know, I could tell you the story, but it would take me about 30 minutes to do that. So I wanted to, to do a shortcut, and I went to Wikipedia. Don't know if you ever heard of that site before. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, to Wikipedia and looked up Our Lady of Prompt Sucker, and here are a few things that they mention I want to bring out to you. You know, it's... um. Our Lady of Prompt Succor came to the United States, came to New Orleans. Uh, it was brought here by the French Ursuline nuns, the Ursulines, the Ursuline nuns, who were a teaching order of nuns. Matter of fact, it was Mother Saint Michel from France who brought, actually brought the statue over from France to New Orleans. She came here, uh, this is when Napoleon was, uh, you know, uh, reigning down war upon the world, and uh, she came over to the New World, to Louisiana, in order to uh, to teach and to help out with, um, you know, to, to help out with uh, the, the soldiers and everything else that was going on over here. Anyway, it says that she came down, she brought the statue with her. This was, let me see, uh, the Holy Father is the one that granted her request to come here, and he, he uh, granted that request on April 29th of 1809. And it says that Mother St. Michelle commissioned a statue of the Virgin Mary 
holding the infant Jesus. And by request, Bishop Fournier uh, in France blessed the statue and the mother, uh, meaning Mother St. Michelle, uh, blessed her work that she was going to come here in the New World. So Mother St. Michelle uh, arrived in New Orleans with the statue of Our Lady of Prompt Secours on December 31st, 1810. And she came with several postulants. Postulants, if you don't know, are young ladies who are preparing to become sisters or nuns. Anyway, the, the statue was placed in the monastery chapel, and it's venerated by the people of New Orleans. Now, there's two very uh, important stories of the miracles attributed to Our Lady of Prompt Secours here in New Orleans. The first one has to do with a fire that started in the French Quarter, in the Vieux Carré, down in the French Quarter area of New Orleans. Uh, a fire was raging, and as it approached Jackson Square, and it was moving over toward their, uh, the, 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 the convent of the nuns, the Ursuline nuns, which the old convent, the original one, was right past uh, Jackson Square by a few blocks, only a few blocks. I passed it in the last month. I passed it twice, walking past it twice. Uh, it's right there. Beautiful place, by the way, with a traditional French garden in the, in the courtyard area, the garden area. Oh, my goodness. Beautiful. If you're ever down in New Orleans, you got to go on a tour. They have tours there. Awesome, awesome stuff. Anyway, um, the fire was coming that way. It was the, you know, blowing that way, approaching Jackson Square. They were afraid. So a nun named Sister Anthony placed a small statue of Our Lady of Prompt Secours on a window seat. And Mary, I mean, I'm sorry, and Mother St. Michelle began to pray aloud, Our Lady of Prompt Secours, we are lost unless you hasten to our aid. Immediately, the wind shifted direction, blowing the flames away from the convent, allowing witnesses unanimously, or allowing for the fire to be extinguished. And the Ursuline convent was one of the few buildings spared from destruction. Upon seeing the inexplicable occurrence, witnesses unanimous, unanimously cried out, Our Lady of Prompt Secours has saved us. So that was the first big miracle. The second one involves General Andrew Jackson. This was in 1815, okay? Uh, three years after the fire, General Andrew Jackson was facing the British in the Battle of New Orleans, right? That's what a lot of people call it, the Battle of New Orleans. is the Battle of New Orleans, folks. Uh, there were 1,500 British troops against 6,000 American troops, and it seemed as though the city of New Orleans was doomed. Knowing the terrible fate of the city of New Orleans, the Ursuline nuns, along with many faithful people of New Orleans, gathered in the Ursuline Chapel before the statue of Our Lady. They spent the night before the battle praying and crying before the holy statue, begging for the Virgin Mary's intercession. On the morning of January 8th, the very Reverend William Doberg, vicar general, offered Mass at the altar on which the statue of Our Lady of Prompt Secours had been placed. The prioress of the Ursuline convent, Mother St. Marie Olivier de Vezin, made a vow to have a Mass of Thanksgiving sung annually should the American forces win. At the very moment of communion, a courier ran into the chapel to inform all those present that the British had been defeated. General Jackson went to the convent himself to thank the nuns for their prayers. By the blessing of heaven, directing the valor of the troops under my command, one of the most brilliant victories in the annals of war was obtained. That's what he said. The vow by Mother St. Marie has been faithfully kept throughout the years, even to this day. I've actually been, Char and I have been, to, I think, a couple of years, a couple of years in a row, we were at that Mass. Isn't that awesome? That is so cool. Anyway, the statue now is not at the old convent. The old convent isn't used as a convent anymore. That's the one down in the quarter. That is uh, basically like a, well, kind of like a museum. You can go and tour it and all of that. It was the first convent, if I'm not mistaken, the first convent established in the United States. Pretty awesome. Uh, the new convent is over a kind of uptown area, not too far from like uh, Loyola and, um, um, yeah, Loyola University, just several blocks away, more than several, but in that area. Uh, it's off of, um, oh, gosh, now I'm going to forget the street. Can't remember. All of the, uh, Claiborne. The Claiborne? Yeah, Claiborne Avenue. 
And, uh, you know, there's, there, there's associated with that, a, a, well, they're Ursuline, Ursulines, right? Uh, they're, they're teaching nuns. So they have a high school there for girls, Ursuline Academy. So that is uh, the nemesis of all hurricanes, especially of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Our Lady of Prompt Succor, hasten to help us. And today we celebrated the solemnity of Our Lady of Prompt Succor. And I'm Ray. And this is Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> Every week, I pull myself out of bed at an uncomfortable, unthinkable hour and drive to our church for an hour with Jesus in Eucharistic adoration. During that hour, I often write God a letter, do some spiritual reading, and struggle to pray. Most weeks, it happens about the same way. The time to get up comes and I groan. My bed is comfortable and my sleep is deep. I don't want to get up yet in the dark and cold. By the time I get home, I'm usually pretty wide awake. In some instances, my body is so ready for the day that I just brew coffee and start the day. Since this pregnancy, though, I've learned to go back to bed or collapse in a heap within hours. This sacrifice I make each week to visit Jesus does not make me a hero or a saint. Though it's become somewhat of a habit, it is never easy. There is part of me squelching and complaining every single week. But just like the laundry... I do it anyway. I have a streak that I like to call strong will and that I'm sure others call stubborn, about a mile wide. This middle-of-the-night date with Jesus is a challenge, and it falls under the category of things that I attack with my strong will. But it's also so very much more. Some weeks, that hour feels like the only silence and stillness in my life. I often have a picture of Jesus wearing jammy pants, sitting on the altar, perhaps holding me in his lap if I doze, which I'm sad to admit I do, especially in the first trimester of any given pregnancy. His mom's often nearby. I mean no disrespect when I mention her apron and the pan in her hand. I'm pretty sure she just popped in from the kitchen. Doesn't it seem fitting to picture the sanctuary or adoration chapel as an annex to the kitchen? During Mass, it is the kitchen where our Eucharistic feast is prepared. But during my solo hour, when it's just me popping in for an hour, it smells more like coffee and cinnamon, like Mary's been baking for a special guest. I hate to think of myself as their special guest, but every week, after battling my disinclinations and mental moanings, I walk into the vast quiet and feel so loved. Of course I'm a special guest. I try to remember that when I'm back in my own kitchen, which isn't nearly so uncluttered in noise or decoration. Each person who comes in to my kitchen is a special guest sent by God. Whether they're a resident reluctant about the fair or a passing visitor seeking rest, my inspiration should come from the banquet table where bread and wine are transformed and hearts are made new. Join me this week in making your kitchen a place where Jesus is welcome with the help of Mary. Say a small prayer every time you cross its threshold, asking him to bless your time there. Awesome, Sarah. That's fantastic. And you know, I couldn't help but notice it sounded a lot like that prayer that I prayed in the beginning of the uh, of the show, the one I did off the cuff, right? Uh, same sort of uh, concept there. Uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You know, it also reminds me 
Sarah, what you're talking about of the Benedictine uh, spirituality of hospitality. And that's uh, too much of a topic for us to get into today. It's very much along the same lines of what you uh, were sharing with us here. And I have a friend of mine, uh, Danny Burns, if you're out there. Um, he, he, well, Danny, if you're out there listening, we got to have you on the show, my brother. Talk about uh, the Benedictine um, characteristic, I guess, or uh, what's the word? Gift of hospitality. Definitely fits right in with what we're talking about here at the Catholic Foodie and uh, kind of, you know, really what's going to fit in with this, uh, with this cookbook. So thank you so much, Sarah. Uh, you can find more of Sarah Reinhardt over at snoringscholar.com, snoringscholar.com. Thank you, Sarah. Wow, something smells good. Those uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Puckett, the goodie lady? My goodness, she makes some good goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a, uh, cookies, shortbread chocolate icing between very, it's good. Uh, it's very good. Hi, Jeff. This is Lisa from Upside Mind and Spirit, and it was great hanging out with you at the CMNC, and I was thinking about you the other day because my kids love cooking shows. And I don't just mean regular Rachel Ray, Giada cooking shows. They love competitive cooking shows. The most recent one they've discovered is Master Chef. It's not my favorite, but the kids just love it. So a couple weeks ago, the challenge on it was a perfect egg challenge. Each contestant got an egg and they had to make a perfect egg dish. And my son, he's six, so cute, standing on the couch, just, just, you know, fists clenched, just couldn't, couldn't wait to see each person was, was sent home or got to stay or how the egg was. He just loved it. And so when it was over and we were talking about it, we decided that we as a family needed to have our own egg challenge. And so the next night for dinner, each of the kids got an egg and, um, they get to plan what they wanted to do with that egg. And so, um, my oldest daughter, she wanted fried with vegetables. My husband did a poached, he did fancy poached, made his own little cream sauce over some shaped toast and um, fruit wedges. Uh, I did an omelet. And my two youngest, they just went crazy making scrambled eggs and adding anything they could find. I mean, there were raisins in their omelets with, I mean, uh, scrambled eggs with uh, cheese and paprika and Whatever. But we had the best time as a family. As each egg was cooked, we all, we took a picture of the person with their egg and we each took a bite and got to taste it. And everybody uh, proclaimed theirs the absolute best. But what I found was so interesting from watching a TV show as a family to then turning it around and making it a whole family event that we took pictures and, and shared it. And we shared it with our family and friends through my family blog. And it, it, it was such a great event. And I just wanted to give that idea for others out there who watch these shows with their kids to take it one step further and make it a whole event. It was good seeing you uh, in Boston. I hope to talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much. You know, Lisa, is <laughs> she is one of the super mega awesome bloggers over there at Of Sound, Mind, and Spirit blog. Which you can find, by the way, at soundmindandspirit.blogspot.com. Uh, the, the, the blogging sisters, we call them. Uh, you know, Lisa, wow. I mean, that is just a phenomenal idea. I love it. I, I don't know why I didn't think of it. I think that's great. And, you know, it, it's also one of those things where you, know, you mentioned how it's something that brought your family together, but it's also something that you were able to share with your extended family and friends and, and how it kind of touched them, too. You know, I was thinking we could all do this. You know, not, I mean, not literally everybody, but, you know, why not? Why not a bunch of us, you know, Catholic foodie people? Why don't we kind of do something like this where you do a challenge at your house or, you know, with your family, and then we share it all together? You know, you can call in and say, okay, we, our challenge was like you did eggs. Our challenge could be, I don't know, pizza or cheese or, uh, you can tell I'm thinking about pizza right now, right? Or or seafood or 
some kind of pasta or whatever it may be, fruit, you know, or even saying something like, you know, two things you got to put together that don't, you don't normally think go together. I don't like maybe a certain, uh, certain fruits with cheeses or bacon and chocolate or <laughs> whatever it may be. Two things that you just don't think would go together. Matter of fact, yesterday, Char, we, we had this, um, this crawfish dip. Okay, it was oh so good. It was good. It was good. It was good. I can't can't tell you how good it was. Awesome, all pure ingredients too. It's not you know nothing preserved. It was it was made locally. Okay, folks, made locally. Anyway, I was I was uh, dipping crackers in this dip and eating it. And Char comes along and she takes an apple, a, a gala 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 apple, slices off of that apple and dips the apple in there. And she was going on about, oh, it's so good, it's so good. I'm, I'm happy with my crackers. And she's like, oh, you got to try it. Look, I'm telling you, I never, ever, ever would have thought about doing that. It was so good. It was so good. So I mean, what if we were able to bring some something like that, different ingredients, and then you do it with your family and report back, let us all know how it went, what did y'all cook, how did it go? And so you're sharing it with your family and friends, but you can share with everybody. You know, uh, 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 Lisa, I'd love to have the link. You want to send me the link, email it to me. I'll put it in the show notes of where you posted that on your your personal blog. I mean, I'm assuming that's open to everybody, but it's something that's personal aside or, or you know, separate from a sound mind and spirit. But anyway, that's a good idea. I, I want to do that. I think that'd be fun. I got to let Char know, and uh, we'll, we'll have to cook something up. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Well, this is it, folks. This is the end of the show. You know, I'm running running a little long today. And because of that, I'm not going to share with you the jambalaya recipe instead i'm just gonna gonna post it on the website okay you can just go over to catholicfoodie.com slash jambalaya and you'll find it over there actually i haven't put it there yet but that's where it's going to (laughs) be so maybe check there in a day or two and uh maybe it'll be there catholicfoodie.com slash jambalaya uh if you have feedback like lisa called in just now uh great lisa thank you so much again if you have feedback, questions, comments, you got a story about food and faith, anything, you want to talk about the cookbook, you got an idea, whatever it may be, call me, 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Call me, and uh, I'll play your message on the show. When you call that number, by the way, nobody answers that. It's just a place to leave a voice message. So uh, you just leave your message. I'll play it on the show. And, hey, everybody has fun. You know, you can also leave me an email at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Uh, don't, don't forget, you got to go over to catholicfoodie.com slash cookbook dash titles and vote on your favorite cookbook title. This really does help me to narrow down the, the, the scope here from 79 to maybe, I don't know, 10, that'd be nice <laughs> if we can get it down to 10. Uh, go over there and vote and let me know what your favorite possible cookbook title is. And if you have a title you like that I don't have on my list, hey, let me know. CatholicFoodie.com slash cookbook dash titles. And also the the uh, the newsletter, the new newsletter coming out, first issue, just a couple of weeks. We're talking the middle of July, of uh, not July, the middle of uh, September, catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter. Go sign up, and uh, you will be one of the first ones to get that newsletter. I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, also, do you have a recipe? We're always looking for recipes. If you want to uh, submit a guest post, if you want to put something there over at catholicfoodie.com, send me an email. Let me know what you're thinking. What are your ideas? I will happily work with you and try to get whatever it is that you would like to post on catholicfoodie.com to help you get that up there. So email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. And until next time, bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit.
SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.